Welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. This is your host, Chris Walker. We are bringing it with the live consulting sessions. We're about to get into another one right now, this time with a seed stage startup that has been taking the advice that we give on this podcast and implementing it on their own. And we're going to talk through some of the things that they saw. There is going to be a lot of good info in here for people that are working on their organic content strategy for a company that almost has no resources and is executing this strategy in a really great way. There's a lot of good stuff to learn. We also, I also provided a ton of just general business advice for this company. And so a lot of good stuff in here. I love the consulting sessions because you get really tactical. You can really feel it. And so I know you're going to enjoy this one and we're going to get into it right now. Thanks for having us, Chris. Um, so yeah, really, uh, we're early stage. So we're post-seed, I'd, I'd say. We're preparing for a Series A funding raise uh, in about 12 to 18 months' time. We have just taken on a bit of money, raised about $2 million to date, just expanded our team, took on our first marketing person. Uh, I should say we are a B2B SaaS company, which is why I listen to your podcast religiously and why I put on Dan over here uh, onto the podcast as well and been listening since, I don't know, probably about episode 60. So I think about 100 episodes in now. So um, I think we're going to be a different kind of small business consulting session today with you because we have been following your strategy for six months um, and seeing some of the fruits of that demand generation and got a few interesting questions around, okay, what what next? We've got all this awesome demand. We've created a category. We're damning demand. You know, the dark funnel is working a treat. How do we, how do we take the next step? Mm-hmm. So, um, great. so yeah, we'd love to hear kind of like what's going on so far. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, we'll get to that in in uh, just a moment in terms of like what we're doing that that's working so well. Mm-hmm. And I'd love your feedback as we go through that as well, Chris. Really got some questions around um, measurements and you know what what are the the key things that we need to be measuring at this point that investors are going to be interested to look at. I guess for our next round in, in particular, Daniel and myself we're we're not marketers. I'm a psychologist by trade. Dan is a what'd you say? Uh, uh yeah. What am I? Uh, <laughs> well, the main you know. Discipline's been management consulting. So jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, we're not marketers. We've learned everything about marketing from you, which is probably a good thing because we, you know, I hear you dissing a lot of traditional I marketing. haven't been brainwashed. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. So we're not doing attribution. We're not doing anything like that at the moment. We don't care. We're really caring about revenue at this point in time, right? So, and yeah, what we're doing is working a treat. Uh, in terms of what, how we're set up, basically, um, Dan's our chief commercial officer. Uh, I'm founder CEO. Um, we have our first marketing ops person who's kind of trying to set up some automation um, type stuff at the moment and our CRM. We haven't even bothered with a CRM until now, mm-hmm. uh, even though we've been in market for um, about a year or so. And then we've got three industry experts, you could say. So myself uh, and two psychologists and we work in a digital mental health space. But taking it again, like, like you've been talking about on your podcast, creating a new category. So it's you think you want mental well-being apps uh, we can tell you they don't work. What you need is risk management. And you really need to think about how do you create a good work environment first for people where they don't get sick because of all these you know, unrealistic demands and work-related stress. And then you can look at, you know, once they've got that good conditions in place, then how do you actually improve their well-being? Uh, so it's more of a, uh, a health and safety tool, if you like, first, followed by a, a well-being tool second. So it's, a, a, again, a different category. Yeah, so I suppose like our marketing today, it's really been about building that category, right? So we're following the uh, the Chris Walker playbook and we're all about educating, providing content of value, not selling. So, you know, we don't talk about our product on the podcast. So what we're 42 podcasts in, we have some great guests, um, but we never mention the product. So we're really about, you know, how do we provide something of value to our ICP? Mm-hmm. Um, and Jason can talk about some of the kind of events that we've been doing that've got some really good attendance. Yeah, but it's that um, I've heard some of your other um, people on on the podcast talk about this church and state kind of idea, right? Yeah. So we're creating the category rather than trying to promote our product to these people who right. aren't ready to buy. And just generally, like people are smart, right? People yeah. that are listening to your podcast are going to be able to connect the dots and go to your website and learn about what you do, right? Like you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, totally learned that from you, Chris. <laughs> uh, but what's awesome, right, is we're getting this amazing community. Like we're just seeing like, you know, not tens of people, like hundreds of people come to repeat events, which is just insane from my point of view. Like, you know, there are ICPs who are coming to these and probably even profiles of people that I would have thought would be really hard to get to. You know, we're getting them coming to us. 
So the kind of like our ICP, right, is like a senior occupational health and safety professional, a senior people leader, you know, someone who kind of works in an organization with more than 2,000 people, you know, they're mining, oil and gas, healthcare, financial services, professional services, first responders, you know, those sort of, uh, I suppose, industries which use technology as part of their role. You know, you know, we are kind of doing a complex selling process, right? You know, like our average customer value is about 200K. And some of our bigger deals, right, you know, we're up around 500 or even towards a mil AIR. But, you know, they are complex, you know, selling processes. You know, often they go through a pilot. We'd love to skip the pilot, but uh, <laughs> it's probably a necessary evil. So we've got multiple stakeholders involved in the decision. So today, you know, we've really been kind of marketing-led, um, you know, building demand, getting them to the website, requesting demos, having one of the content experts or, you know, they're our psychologists, right? They're the people who know the subject matter and they're also kind of like our sales team. So we're getting them to do I demos. want to drill in on that because I think it's super yeah. interesting. We do that here too, um, where the person that is selling in quotes has actually done the job of the person that they're talking to. Mm. It's a super interesting model for some companies. You have salespeople selling to salespeople that would make sense, but in most cases, it's not like that. And so, back in the day, we were selling into hospitals, and there was a there was a team. It was a sales rep and a clinical specialist. The clinical specialist had actually done the job of the person that we were selling to. And what I started to observe, the company didn't really observe it, but I observed it, is that the clinical specialist was actually doing most of the sales because they actually could communicate and provide value to those people in, in a way where it's like, hey, I've done your job before. I know what it's like. I used this product when I was a clinician and now I work for this company. And so um, I just think it's an interesting note because I don't see a lot of companies considering it. Yeah, we, we laugh about that, right? Because we're like, oh, geez, are we doing something wrong? Um <laughs> But do you see that as a sustainable model? Like, you know, we're using our content experts as our sales team, but also our customer success team as well. Like, do you see that as a model that scales? Yeah, and and before you get in on that, Chris, is um, my philosophy is as a psychologist, it's actually easier to teach a psychologist, an industry expert, how to make sales than a salesperson how to be a psychologist. Especially when you're doing excellent marketing and the people, when they get there, are 90% of the way done. Yeah, <laughs> especially at deals 200k to a million the volume doesn't need to be very high you know what i'm saying like it's a it's a it can be super efficient to this i also see and potentially in your business the the blend where i think people are talking about the blend between sales and customer success where the same person is taking them through the journey i see that as a potential option for you as well the model may not scale if you're selling 4k arr deals because you might need to hire too many people. It may not support the CAC. There's a lot of reasons why it may not, but at your deal sizes, I definitely think it would. And I think you know, from prior lives, like I think we've been frustrated when we've got software and then the implementation team come in and they don't deliver what has been promised, right? So from our point of view, like you know, we're solving that issue by having continuity through that process. Mm-hmm. Love that. And I think to that kind of 4K AR, like we do still, you know, we kind of haven't talked about schools to date. Like we we have a schools product, which is, I suppose, very much aligned to our mission as well as an organization. And they might be 10, 20, 30K accounts or even 5K accounts in some ways. So what we're thinking with our marketing strategies is, you know, we're marketing led at the moment, enterprise sales process. We're looking to move to product or we're planning to move to product led in October. And we want to really make that process as self-service as possible. Like we want to give, you know, the decision makers everything they need from like a business case to, you know, our IT security framework, um, you know, our privacy policies, like everything. Like we're pretty much open book in our website. Yeah, actually, um, your friend from Sixth Sense was talking about this the other day where mm-hmm. she's like, let's find out every little piece of information that the people that we're selling to need to make the journey internally before they come to us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the- what is the business case? What's the ROI? What's some training that might need to be delivered to certain people? Buyer enablement. Yeah, exactly. Do you think there's and something that we've been kicking around? Do you think there's a deal size when self-service, you know, taps out and, you know, you do have to need a salesperson? Like, you know, am I like, is that 10K? Is that 30K? Is that 50K? Like, do you see like a value in market where, you know, we need a salesperson to take them through that process? My gut tells me that it's at the current moment somewhere between 50k and 100k 
I think a lot of people that are listening to this podcast afterwards are going to think that's crazy, but that's what I believe right now. I think that if they had that set up and there was people that had been educated and marketed and ready to buy, and you had some experience where they could get into the product that you could actually execute a transaction of that size without any type of sales touch. And so there's yeah. a lot of nuances there and there's a lot of constraints that companies have right now that may not allow them to do it. But if you look at just what a customer would do, I believe that a customer would execute a transaction of that size on their own. Yeah, we're already getting some schools who spend up to 30K on our product without talking to us necessarily just to get yeah. the quote. They give, give us the, what, what's it going to cost? And then they pay for it, right? So already getting that to some degree. So I think we can yeah. get that with product-led, particularly as we start to get some metrics about how they're using the platform whilst it's on freemium and starting to give them what they need in order to make a, a buying decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is, the, is the messaging different between schools and your like more commercial? The first thing that came to my mind is like, do these actually need to be two separate brands? And they are actually. So we have uh, what's called Flourishing at School and Flourish DX. So yeah, the Flourish DX is really an enterprise platform um, for you know businesses and it's more a health and safety platform first. Whereas mm-hmm. the school platform is very much a well-being platform. So, and it's more like pastoral care, if you like. So they are actually very different and we do treat them differently. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. They have different websites, you know, different. Yeah. We are 100% on the same page then. That's great. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. don't, worry, don't worry, you're going to give us lots of great um, input later. <laughs> Do you want to talk a bit about the content? Yeah, so well, I want to talk about what's working well. Like Chris, like I said, um, we've been following your playbook for six months. I, I did spend about three months researching, listening to as much of your back catalogue as, as possible at that point, really planning out how do I do a podcast? Like how do I host it? How do I do the video editing and create these little snippets? How do I, you know, so the distribution on LinkedIn, how's that all going to work? Building up my LinkedIn followers. I, I had 1,500, um, you know, connections on LinkedIn around Christmas time. And then I thought, and this is lucky I got on when it did because I could add hundreds of people a day uh, in connections. And now it's like really limited with how many more I can do. But I'm up to, I think about 7,000, 8,000 connections now. So I have a much broader audience when I start to push out content. It feeds itself over time, right? Oh, so yeah, the now, connection strategy will get it going. And then it's nice to keep it going because it's literally just gasoline. It's an accelerant. But as there are more people, if you put out engaging content, you get the organic reach through the engagement amplification. And then you just, through that drives more followers in and it's a revolving cycle. So it's good that you're not in there at that time. Yeah, totally, totally noticing that. And, um, you know, now that you can have the creator profile as well, and it's the follow first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I regularly go in there and notice I've got another 10 followers that have just, you know, jumped on and, you know, started wanting to take in my content, which is great. So yeah, LinkedIn Organic is our distribution strategy. We use the same similar similar clips to what you do, little two to four minute nuggets of gold from the podcast. Mm-hmm. So the goal isn't to create a podcast audience. The goal of the podcast, as you're aware, is to create content. Um, mm-hmm. In saying that though, we have some in the short, really like. yeah, yeah. In, yeah, in the short, it's to get it moving in micro distribution. In the mid yeah. to long, it's to build a podcast audience because the depth of the podcast is so real. Um, especially in complex, you know, 200 K to a million dollar deals. Like you're going to want that repeat listener viewership. So it's, I I always recommend the starting point of micro distribution. Some of the things that I'm saying here, just to say it may not be for you. It's for the people listening micro distribution on LinkedIn, because it's going to give you the spark easier and it's going to drive awareness of your podcast, which gets people in the hardest part of a podcast is actually user acquisition. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I remember I'm chatting with Dan playing poker one night and I, was, and I just convinced Dan to join the team. And I said, Dan, I'm starting a podcast. What, what were your thoughts, Dan? Uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> and he, he wasn't aware of, you know, this, the distribution strategy and, you know, it's not just about the podcast. It's how do you actually, you know, get the content out there. And now we have people though, who are in the most senior positions in these companies who are firmly in the ICP that have, you know, 40, 50,000 employees who are listening. And, you know, reaching out to us, DMing me at um, the global mental health lead for a company that has 300,000 people reach mm-hmm. out. And we had a Zoom call the other day and, um, mm-hmm. and he said, he said, I'm having a Beyonce moment. I'm like, yeah. what are you talking about? He's that's, like, you're a celebrity. That's the, move. <laughs> yeah. that's the move. And then soon you're going to be invited to speak at the conferences that all those people go to. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really having that, right? So I regularly get asked to, you know, appear on other people's podcasts and presentations. Mm-hmm. So this is six months in. So this is for your listeners, Chris, so to hear. You it's working. Have to get it for that long, it works. Yeah. <laughs> 
So what we are doing is also interesting. I want to note this for the listeners too. Like some of the people that push back on me on this is like, oh, it's easy to do marketing to marketers. They're marketing to psychologists at enterprise companies. Like, is it psychologists or on your niche, right? Like it's health and safety people at these things. But it's like if you put content on the internet and it's valuable to those people and helps them personally and professionally, they're going to be able to find it and want to consume it. It doesn't matter what job they're in. Now, one thing I heard you say just very recently on one of your um, episodes was around, um, you know, build the content first and then the community. And that's what we did. So we did, you know, four or five months worth of podcast creating. And then we thought, well, let's try a live event. You know, let's get some of our previous guests on. So we have the way we run our podcast is we have a industry expert or an academic or, you know, someone on every, every show. And that's like influencer marketing as well. We give them a nice little thing that they can promote to them, to their, um, network on LinkedIn that they're on our podcast. So we get to access their network, which is great. So we did our first live event in May. We had 1,054 registrations on a LinkedIn live event for our first first attempt. How did you get them? So we had our um, people on the panel to, you know, blast out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, go on there, advertise on our podcast. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but all organic, 1,000 uh, people. It's all, yeah, no, no, yeah. no. We have not spent a dollar on advertising. Cool. Yeah. So, um, but I think I, what I really love about the LinkedIn live events is it, there's this virality to it, right? Because if you say you're attending an event, then it asks, do you want to post this mm-hmm. to your audience that you're coming to this event? So it acts, allows us to access this broader audience, which is great. Now, the second event, we thought, oh, that was amazing. Surely we can't get a thousand again. The second event had 1,400 people. And uh, our next live events on the 4th of August, we've already got 1,400 people registered for it. So we'll, we'll go close to cracking 2000, right? Mm-hmm. So we're building this community, right? And it's just building and building and building. But content came first. The other thing that has been really successful is um, we created our first e-learning course on psychological health and safety. And we timed it with the release of an international standard. So it came out on the same day, pretty high end, you know, it's just stuff that we produced in-house ourselves. So mm-hmm. didn't pay for anyone to edit the content. We we're able to just do it ourselves. And yeah, within the first month, we had 2,000 people enroll in, in the course. So it's kind of like a HubSpot Academy player, right? Like we're mm-hmm. teaching people about the category and how to do it using our software. Yeah, so incredibly, um, going incredibly well. We've just released our second training course. And now we're starting to deal with more objections. Like how do you get top management buy-in? You know, how do you get you know, the mm-hmm. right people on And side? people are going to tell you what they need and then it feeds what you create for content. Yeah. Oh, and, and the virality of that as well. So people, we give them a certificate that is worthless, right? I mean, you don't have to get a single question right in e-learning. You'll get a certificate at the end. But people are posting on LinkedIn, hey, check out this training course and the certificate that I just got. Mm-hmm. People are saying, congratulations, well done. I'm getting the certificate. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, yeah now all of these things have a bit of virality to it, but it's just building this community and, and building us, ourselves up as category leaders, I guess, in yeah. this space. I want to just put one thing out there because at the beginning, both of you said that you are not marketers. And I just want to correct your, your statement here because both of you in the, these six months are further ahead than a lot of people that have been doing marketing for five plus years. It's really good stuff. Thanks. The mindset of how you're thinking about it, the things that you're executing, it's really good. Now, I appreciate and that, Chris. It is the Chris Walker playbook, right? You know, <laughs> yes, like yeah. we've, we don't know anything but what we've learned from you. And, you know, to Jason's point about, you know, that client having a uh, Beyonce moment with him, you know, like this is my Beyonce moment in marketing. Uh, <laughs> Soon you know, enough, you, you're going to learn nuances that I don't use or I don't tell you 100%. Like the LinkedIn invite that creates virality is not something that we do. I'm going to go and take that, right? But you've already discovered things that we don't do. Yeah, it's like experimenting, right? Like, you know, what what works and, and mm-hmm. where it's great because I'm the founder and I have ultimate say, I guess, in how we do it. We don't have, um, we bootstrapped a lot at the beginning where we worked really hard as a lean startup to get things done the hard way rather than dilute early, which means that we still have decision-making power. We don't have VCs coming in and saying, oh, you need to hire 20 salespeople and you know spend mm-hmm. all your money on Facebook ads and, and whatnot. So we're, we're fairly lucky with that. But, you know, just uh, to that point around how it's actually penetrating, I mean, I was um, chatting with a group of stakeholders at one of the companies that we're trying to get into. They have 40,000 employees worldwide. And they were starting to parrot back to us what we've been saying on the podcast. And they're like, we've been doing wellbeing for years. We need to start yeah. doing risk management. <laughs> yeah. we, we want you to help us. So I'm going to uh, put out another one for, for the listeners here because you're just 
giving me layups. I get a ton of pushback from almost everybody. Oh, you need to do outbound sales to get into the enterprise. Listen to what these people said. They just said that they're starting conversations with companies that have 40,000 employees, which is super enterprise, by creating a podcast that they like. The same thing happens at Refine Labs. We talk to companies that are 50,000 employees come inbound to us with no sales. And so this is a lesson for the people listening. It's not that you can't get to the enterprise doing marketing. It's that you can't get to the enterprise doing marketing the way that you're doing it right now. So you think that you need to do sales, but what you could do is actually just change the way that you do marketing. Yeah. So we haven't been um, burdened, I guess, by you know historic ways of this is how we've done things and having to transition. I've heard you speak regularly about companies having to take a good 12 months plus to transition mm-hmm. you know, from how they're doing things to this way. Uh, we've been able to start this way from the beginning. I mean, just one last thing to mention that we are, are now moving to, given how well our live events are going and, and, and building on this community, we'll be taking another leaf out of the Chris Walker playbook and doing a weekly uh, live session because they just seem to be going so well. But we are going to continue to run them as uh, LinkedIn live events and stream straight to YouTube. Again, removing the barriers to entry for people to mm-hmm. be able to get straight in and um, it'd be less less able to track, but we've never bothered with tracking in the past, which is yeah. uh, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you today. Actually. <laughs> and just to build on that 40,000 example, um, you know, like you walk in the room and they're warm. They know Jason's voice. They know what he's talking about. You know, Joel's our other personality on the podcast. Like that warmth in the room is incredible, right? Like, you know, you're not walking in cold as like these salespeople. <laughs> I know. Like, to me, yeah. that's value in itself. Like that's yeah. incredible. Yeah, how intimate so is this? Better. Like, yeah. We're hearing each other like in these like you know in these headphones. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose what, one of the questions that we had is kind of where to next? Like, how do we kind of supercharge distribution of our content? Like, you know, we haven't spent a dollar on paid advertising. What should we be thinking about there? Like, you know, where do you think we should start? Or if you think that's the way to go? So. At the moment, it's, it's pure. It's just LinkedIn events and podcasts is where the content's going. Um, yeah, e-learning as well. We've got a couple of websites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, LinkedIn posts. So it's not all just the live events, but yeah, the, we did a little little post that um, Joel, who's our other industry expert, and myself, we share you know two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. We did look. Um, also, just to let listeners know, we did try doing three times a week when we first started. I wanted to get a good body of content out there, right? So if people started listening. They would have a backlog they could go to. Uh, we probably did f- a month of that. We got 12 episodes out in the first month. Really, really hard, especially when you're doing a funding round at the same mm-hmm. time and everything else as, as the founder, you know, doing that. If you're a full-time marketer and that's your role, very good use of your time, I believe. But we're now to cadence of once a week, but we're going to start adding the live event. So we'll have the two episodes a week that we'll mm-hmm. be releasing. Right on. Yeah, work up to it, right? At some point, we were doing just one a week too. When it comes to distribution... I think that you're going to want to try and focus on three things. So the first one is continuing to scale up LinkedIn. Like that's number one because it's already working and it will continue to work. So whether that's more frequent posts, more frequent engagement, connection strategy, there's a lot of little things that you can do to make that go faster. It's just like when you find something that works, just push it as hard as you can. So that one definitely needs to be noted there. The second one is that trying to figure out how you can get an initial like user acquisition loop to get people more people into the podcast straight away. And then once you get that done, it feeds itself because people talk. So the number one acquisition channel for us at this point is just other people sharing it with people. But at the beginning, you got to find a way to get the first 200 or 500 or 1,000 people in. And you need to get them into a place. Obviously, you're getting good feedback. So people are liking it, right? So you need to get them back in for one, two, three episodes. And then they're find something they like, and then they share it with the coworker or share it with the colleague or in a, on LinkedIn or something like that. So on that loop, I, you might be using my move with the, in the comments, drop the link to the full podcast in the comments. Given your the performance of your events, I imagine that there's some way to get people into the podcast from the events. So that's something to think about. One thing that you forego when using LinkedIn Live is the ability to email the people that have already registered for those events. So that's not, that's a trade-off to consider. So we use Zoom. It wasn't really an intentional choice, right? We just picked Zoom at the beginning and we haven't moved from it. But it allows us to do a couple of things. One, we can email all the people that have been registered to remind them about the event. Two, we can put a recurring invite on their calendar. So it's always on their calendar as a way to remember 
Like those are some things to think about because you could send a follow-up email to people that didn't attend that gives them the podcast episode to get them in there. So there's a lot of different strategies, but that's another one is getting more people into the podcast to a level where the share, the amount of sharing starts to fuel that. Those two things are really important. The third one I'll offer is whichever channel I am at, you probably know better than me, but is it LinkedIn? Is it Instagram? Do you have an idea of the main channel right now for these people? We have one channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so, so I really hope they're there, Chris. <laughs> yeah, so let's keep going on LinkedIn. You know, when you get to an A or otherwise, you can start opening up Facebook, Instagram, but stick on LinkedIn for now. When you post something organically that becomes one of your top performing videos, take that out and run ads to all of the other people that you want to see it through your company page. Yeah. And so it's basically like you have 7,000 followers. Those 7,000 followers love this video that you posted about you know, mental well-being in the enterprise or something. And then you take that and you go and give it to the other 100,000 people that don't follow you yet to make it go faster. That's brand awareness, obviously consumer education, category design, creating demand. And I would measure that on cost per full video view. So, or 75% video view. So it's like, how much does it cost? And then you can make a decision black and white about whether or not that's worth the cost to you at your stage. So if you can get a, I don't know who this, you know, head of well-being, for lack of a better job title, head of well-being to watch your four-minute video from LinkedIn for $3.97. Is that worth $3.97? I think so, yes. So that's what that's how I would do it. Yeah. You'll pick up followers, you pick up engagement, but the main part is the consumption of the information. And in terms of supporting conversion, yeah, look. I put my finance hat on uh, and I you know, want to make sure we don't run out of cash. Like, is there anything else that we can be doing to make sure that we support that conversion from you know, our community, right? Like we've got a great community and we're seeing things drop and we're seeing things come out of the dark funnel, as you'd say, and you know, drop within you know, 70, 80 days, which is incredible. Um, is there anything else that we can be doing? Like we've kind of looked at our website and kind of, well, what can we offer there? Like, is there any kind of pointers you'd give us there? So for me, I see these as completely separate. When I'm like in my community, I have no interest in ever trying to convert or sell anyone in the community because the point of the community is to educate people to be involved in that, for them to be involved in the content creation process. So then we put it on the internet. So then people that are not yet in the community see it and come inbound. So there's like a separation of church and state there. But I, what I would say is ongoing iteration of messaging on your homepage, the offer for conversion, which is a demo right now. Like, what does that page look like? What are you asking for? Your volume is probably relatively low. And so a couple of percentage points can move the needle there. But I think it's like what you're doing in the community and all of the content is you're building awareness so that at some point somebody is educated and lands on your website. And then that's your chance. So can you tell them a compelling story about why they need to adopt your product to get better outcomes and then move them into conversion? And so I would just focus on, I would focus on the story. Right. One of the things that we haven't done, because obviously we have not hired a single salesperson yet, and it's kind of our industry experts, our psychs that are going to start becoming, um, you know, our outbound people. What are some of the triggers that we should consider for outbound? Because we've never gone outbound to this point, but we need to drive sales so we can get a good Series A under our belt in the next 12 months. Mm. So I would think about this in a way different way than I would offer it to like a Series D enterprise SaaS company that's not running the model that you're running at your stage. And so, because in those companies, they're going to go and buy intent data and they're going to build a big SDR team and they're going to, call a ton of people. That's what they're going to do. For you, I, are those experts also active on LinkedIn? Yeah. Yeah. It's part of the role. I said, if you're not coding, you're a marketer. <laughs> yeah. And so inside of LinkedIn, I call this, I don't, I don't really have a term for it, but I would just call it like very strategic relationship driven outbound where because you've posted content and a ton of people see it and they know about you and they think you're credible and they trust you that it's a lot easier to send a direct message and say, Hey, like, because 
I've seen, you know, been working through the comments, been seeing these different things. Like, it looks like we could help you. Would it be open to having a chat? Like, there's probably a play there. And that's what I would recommend. You don't want to have your subject matter experts cold calling people that they're barely ever going to win. And it's demoralizing. You know what I mean? Like, you have a very, a very talented, capable person calling people and getting no a ton of times. I think it's going to be a, it's going to be bad for the overall system. And so, the recommendation would be to figure out how they can do it way more strategically. So the volume is way lower mm. either would be the recommendation. And then the second thing that I would offer is I want to understand better why you think you need to do outbound. And so, because at the moment, from what I've heard, I would keep rolling with this. There's probably some tweaks we can get into metrics so I can diagnose that better. Yeah, oh, look, but we're not I, dropping what we're doing. It's like, to, okay, totally. That, but like now, how do we actually get some people in and maybe speed up kind of um, awareness and, and decision-making around a purchase? Yeah, my concern is that it's not, it's going to be a lot of activity and it's not going to speed anything up. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so well, although, saying that though, I did try this myself actually the other day. I reached out to someone who seemed to have the right job title at the right company, 20,000 employees and... Um, and said, hey, would you like to come on the podcast? <laughs> and mm-hmm. she, uh, do you want to have a Zoom call? Chat about it. And uh, we did. And in the end, it turns out, she's like, wow, what you're doing is really great. Like, and it only costs that much? Wow. This is like a half a million dollar enterprise sale, mm-hmm. uh, which came out of me just DMing her over, over LinkedIn and asking, do you want to go on the podcast? Totally. Uh, I mean, it's interesting that you you see that as outbound sales because it's, it's an interesting path. I don't consider that outbound sales. I consider that a podcast that drove a relationship that created awareness, which is a, it's a effect of a podcast that I think people undervalue, right? Mm-hmm. So being able to talk to that person for an hour, demonstrate credibility, discuss what you're doing, ask them questions, build a relationship. And then they say, oh, like, so mm-hmm. that's an interesting play. You could think about replicating that for other for the other subject matter experts you could do it more yeah. frequently but i i wouldn't bucket that into outbound sales okay uh, and that's yeah. where our terminology is wrong because to us yeah. that's, that's what we're talking about with outbound like <laughs> right we, we, bunches of community members like yeah. maybe four or five people from a you know an rcp right and we kind of go yeah the people that we want to target like can we get them into a workshop and sort of mm. demonstrate credibility give something of value of them, you know, for an hour of our time, right? Because, mm. you know, if we're thinking if we're getting four or five people from the same entity, like they're interested, right? Like they mm-hmm. must be doing something that kind of aligns to our mission. And you see that in the comments of some of the posts that we make or, you know, if someone shares something about our e-learning and you'll see like this GM of health and safety tag her her colleagues in, yep. in our, and I go and have a look who she tagged. Holy crap. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a pretty good person that she's just tagged. So yeah, so it's not outbound is what you're saying, but it's just that further relationship building. And um, but we're, we're talking about it's how do we marketing that drives a relationship that starts a sales process. Yeah. Okay. And then I told you we'll, we're uh, new to this. Um, it's cool. <laughs> we clarified yeah. it for a lot of people. It's good. So yeah. So we're thinking like if we aim to keep the team small, which we have to until our next raise, like, and it's our industry experts that are doing this do we do things like offer a workshop where it's a group workshop where we say, look, we're going to run, you know, some, give you some valuable information, do a product demonstration. Would that be worthwhile doing? Or are you saying just that one-on-one kind of relationship building through LinkedIn direct messaging would be a better way to go about it? I'm open to either of these options. I think that what you're, I kind of hear what you're saying. So let me know if I'm correct or not, but it feels like you are trying to figure out because you have this big work in like thought leadership category design and you feel like you're missing a piece between that and the conversion, like product marketing, things like that. That's what it yeah. feels what I'm hearing in, in like the oh, undertones. Yeah. 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 And I suppose like, you know, we've got a burning bridge, if you like, like we've got kind of 12 months to series A, you know, if we had more time and even you know, to be quite frank, more cash, you know, we could do a two, three year play and it's not a big deal, but and we really have time pressure on our side. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the time pressure. Like where are you now and where do you need to get to? Yeah. So last financial year, our financial year runs to end of June. We did just over 500,000 uh, um, mm-hmm. and that's primarily ARR. Our goal is to get to anywhere between two and a half mil to five mil ARR in this next year. 
we have a bunch of these big enterprise sales that are in our firmly in our sales pipeline and a fair way down. And, you know, I, d- I really think that we are first to market with our particular approach and they're all saying the right things that, you know, this is the way that they want to go and they don't really have a comparison product. So I don't think there's any risk there, but the, the risk is, as we mentioned earlier, that they're going to want to do a demo uh, or a demonstration that might take three, six, 12 months before they make a big purchase. So it might be a $50,000 sale before a, a million dollar sale, right? So, yeah. uh, but we need to get those ones earlier, if you like, the bigger ones to get the, the numbers up so that we can convince investors that the, the current ones that we've got, hey, they're on a good thing already. And then future investors, hey, look, you know, this is, this is going places. What do you think is the number one reason that you're not closing deals faster? Like talk me through how many deals are in the pipeline and then why you think that they're not closing, right? There's a lot of reasons. Yeah. The, the main reason. Long enterprise sales, pricing, contract length. Like talk me through what you think. There's, there's two reasons, I think, too. And Dan might correct me or add some, but the, the main one is market readiness for this type of product. So for example, there was just a um, international standard that was released on psychological health and safety um, from the International Organization of Standardization just last month, which kind of said, hey, what we're doing is best practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a product that facilitates you know, what people would need to do to adopt that standard. And we're really kind of first to market with something like that. In Australia, we have legislation moves that will make what we're selling you know, a mandatory kind of health and safety obligation for employers and you know, our product will make it easier for companies to adopt it. But these things have only just kind of emerged and companies are just starting to switch on and just starting to do their initial, hey, what are we going to do about this? And then like the other reason, as Dan said, it's a complex process. It's not just one person going, yeah, we're going to purchase this for 50,000 people or 10,000 people. You know, they have to engage with HR, uh, CFO, you know, line managers, safety teams, you know, lots of lots of different people. And- You've always said, like, you know, we were catching up last year before I came on board that middle of this year, middle of 2021 is the time to be in market and it's the time to really launch and scale. So you've kind of called it, right, for over 12 months and you've been planning for two years for, you know, kind of where we are now. So, you know, we really see those drivers coming online and, you know, we had an enterprise deal drop today, which is, you know, pretty amazing. Um, so we're seeing those things really come through now. Like, you know, that other one that I talked about that went to pilot, you know, it was a three-month kind of lead time, right? Two-month lead time, which is pretty incredible. And, um, and like a $60,000 pilot as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, decent size, right? But obviously a lot bigger once we can scale, scale up. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So what I heard was like the market may not be ready right this second. And then mm-hmm. it's a complex process. And so I would just, I'd like to point out that I don't think that putting more people at the top of the funnel is going to solve either of those problems. Yes. This is a, this is something that a lot of companies struggle with where there's something that's inside of their sales process that is for some reason not working and we're going to go through that and they think that the answer is just to put more people at the top into a process that's not working. And so in terms of there's a there's a market readiness component. I think the solution to that is mass education of the market on the regulations and product marketing on LinkedIn. And so um, I'll, after the call, send you examples. I've done this before with like a stakeholder like this tip is regulations plus maybe like some type of clinical outcomes plus product marketing. Like those three things through LinkedIn ads to your market is one thing that I would definitely do. And then in terms of the complexity of the sale. I think that the potential answer, and you know way better, so I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, but I think the answer is to figure out how to lower the barrier to entry. I think the hardest part about inside of getting inside of these accounts is getting in. And then once you get in, if you have a good product and a good customer success engine, then the expansion will happen naturally. It'll happen, in my experience, happens pretty quickly. And so perhaps there's a way to lower barrier to entry so that people move in. So Mark, I'm not sure if you've listened to the Mark Robert's episode on the podcast. If not, I would recommend it. I think it's in the 130s. And he talked about at the beginning doing, doing things that don't scale to get customers. So pricing for commitment, not for margin or ARR. So like, how do we get people in using the product? How do we get them to have a 
positive, like leading metric of product market fit or customer retention? How does that fuel other people, how them talking to other people that they work with or know about that, the fact that they're using your product, which brings word of mouth in, there might be a strategy around that too. That's my feeling. I, I feel like keep doing all of the things that you're doing in marketing, add this LinkedIn paid component. And then there's probably given your time constraints, it's actually something I think you need to handle in the sales process, not at the top of the funnel. I, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And that's that's the strategy with the freemium. You know, yeah. let's allow teams within these big companies to actually try it out with groups of up to 12 people for free with obviously some limited functionality mm-hmm. um, and really demonstrate the effectiveness in that team. And, you know, that's why we're building all our training content for free. You know, we're a SaaS company. We're not a training company. So we can give all the, the training away for free and continue to do the education. Mm-hmm. And then the idea now that we have a marketing ops person is we can build in some metrics and see you know, when people start using the platform, where do they get to? And, you know, maybe sending them messaging at certain points in time that more education pieces or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that people are using the product, hopefully having a great time with the product, understanding the value and then selling that internally. Yeah. So um, that's the another, another thing that people really undervalue in this model is the rate that it scales. In the marketing model that you're doing right now, if I graph for you the past eight quarters of our pipeline and revenue growth, it is like this. Eight quarters consistently in a row because it's ongoing. As more people are in the market, they know more about you. More people come inbound, it fuels more stuff. So like, I just want to point that out too. You've been at this for six months. You haven't seen the impact that it makes at 12 to 18 months. It might not be that you need more stuff. It just mean it might mean that the model is going to take more. You're seeing early signs of success. I think what I'm trying to communicate to both you and people listening on the podcast is like the early signs of success are great. And most people don't push it the way that I've pushed it uh, based on the, like the amount of, I've been talking to you. I realize that you probably will do this, which is awesome because when you do it, it is really, really crazy in terms of the impact. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm communicating clearly, but I'm just like encouraging you to just keep moving on this. And I think that there are actually other the root of the problems are actually like different than marketing. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, even things like template business cases is something that we're developing now. Totally. Uh, Anything of friction that we can reduce. And I think Jason's been very good at just being very transparent on the website, even like IT certifications, all the legals are up there, pricing's up there. Like we're just trying to just take away those little points of friction along the kind of buying cycle. Mm Mm-hmm. One thing that you could do as a short-term thing that I think is pretty interesting is you could put together like some type of either customer advisory board or group and bring them in at a significantly lower price point in exchange for market feedback. It lowers the barrier of getting people in. They feel invested in the product. It can move people from no to yes way faster. And so that might be something that you want to do. It could be an easy way if you take the price from whatever, 250K ARR to 50K ARR and someone gets in, hey, like you're going to be able to get this at way less. It's only 10 people, right? It's not going to hurt your total addressable market or long-term scalability of the company. But you get people in, you get 500K extra ARR and you have 10 people using the product, getting market feedback, working through that. Yeah, I've um, put out some feelers actually on something very similar to that. I mean, it's exactly, you've just put the right terminology to it. So, um, you know, I'll follow that up and give that one a bit more of a push. Yeah, cool. We've just set up kind of our like key measures and kind of wanted your thoughts on, you know, Mm -hmm. are we tracking the right sort of things? The first thing we're going to track is kind of like number of community members, um, you know, people who continue to turn up to multiple events, AIR, sales cycle time. I feel like we should measure CAC, but... You don't really spend anything on paid at the moment. <laughs> yeah, how, so, do you, how do you tell an investor what your CAC is if you don't actually spend any money on, on advertising? So I would put together an estimate of the costs associated with running these programs. So like your a percentage of your, you know, your salaries, all of the equipment and things that are put into your marketing budget. And then if the subject matter experts are sales, then a part of their salary to put it in and it's yeah that's probably what i would do and it's going to be a good number yeah sql conversion uh and then over time right lifetime value and churn 
Um, they're kind of what we're thinking about. We're not too fussed about attribution at this stage. Mm-hmm. I'm just keen for your thoughts. You know, those are the right sort of things. Should we be concerned about attribution? No. The thing that I would do for you, which is super easy, is just put an extra field on your form that says, how did you hear about us and make it required? That's what we're doing on our website. It's giving us all of the insights that we need. We don't need a hundred thousand or more dollar attribution software tool to tell us what's happening. Like people will tell you, Hey, I love your podcast. Hey, I saw you on LinkedIn and that's enough for me. If you have like, if you're using HubSpot CRM, it'll give you basic attribution out of the box. So those two things put together is like a pretty low cost way to do attribution. And I believe that it's actually more effective and better than what big enterprise companies are doing right now, because I think big enterprise companies follow multi-touch attribution and it actually gives them the wrong data and they make the wrong decisions off of it. So I would put those two pieces together. When it comes to the metrics, I'd break this into like business metrics and then channel metrics. And so on the business side, it's going to be number of qualified demo requests per month or per quarter, whatever you decide, the opportunities they created off of those and the close one, you can do sales cycle and win rates too, but at your volume, it's you decide whether or not you need those two. So those are like, those are your business metrics. And then you have channel metrics. So you had community members, LinkedIn, audience size, event attendance, podcast listens or subscribers per episode, qualitatively comments, um, on LinkedIn, DMs on LinkedIn saying they love your stuff, invitations to other podcasts or like events, some qualitative stuff. Like we don't, I don't have a KPI around that, but I can feel that we're getting invited to speak on way more podcasts, way more events. So it's a good signal there. Those are the, the main ones that I would recommend for like this. And obviously there's going to be other metrics that your investors need like CAC. So whatever those people need, you have to put together too. Yeah. Yeah, useful. Nice. Yeah. I know you don't talk about products so much. We're using Active Campaign. Uh, the marketing ops person that we brought in, he is kind of new to using these things and looked at everything and said, you know, for our size. Way more popular in APAC is what I've found. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Okay. I was just having a, uh, I had a meeting the other day actually um, with a, a marketer and he said he was using Active Campaign, but moving beyond that now that they've hit a, a higher scale or mm-hmm. need, need a bit more. That's good. Well, uh, yeah, hopefully it can do what we, we need to do. Yeah. Um, another thing, just keep it out there. I'm sure the active campaign is doing great. HubSpot offers 90% discounts to seed stage startups. So you could get their product for like 80 bucks a month or something. Shout out to HubSpot. All right. <laughs> <laughs> something to consider. So the, the next challenge I feel we're going to have then is, um, you know, sounds like we don't need to build out a sales team, but then, you know, we'll be investing in marketing as well. And, and hopefully, um, you know, we can jump on some of your um, <laughs> demand gen live uh, sessions and start to pinch some people from your chat in the future. Um, <laughs> hopefully they like the way that we market, but, you know, building out our team, you know, we've got our marketing ops person basically, right? That's it. Mm-hmm. And then kind of I'm wearing the CMO hat at the moment and you'll probably CRO at the moment, uh, Dan. So, you know, where should we build out our team first? And we and, and just to let you know, we already are outsourcing all the stuff that we can, like the video editing, subtitling, you know, all that totally. sort of stuff. Yeah. I would find a really strong product marketer, I think is what you what you want. What we just talked about is you guys have like top of the funnel awareness category creation pretty locked in. There's a missing piece right in the middle, getting people to conversion, which is gonna be messaging, case studies, conversion overall getting the message into the market about the products, running, you know, demos or different things like that. So I think product marketer is a really good one for you, given the other things that you have going on right now. And then the next one that I would find is a a strong director of demand. Um, And directors of demand are interesting because there's a bucket of them that basically just run lead gen from 2011 and are not good. That's actually a very large bucket of them. And then there's another bucket that we don't hire here, which is that they don't actually know how to run ads. They don't know how to look at pipeline and Salesforce. So I would build into the process. What you want is somebody that can run full stack and a good director should be able to for six months until their work justifies bringing someone in that runs the ads and does some other things. So you might maybe senior manager could work too, but those are the two that I think you're looking for. And then whether you want to 
outsource or insource, the next one I would go to is um, a creative person, visual designer, someone like that. We've kind of got that. Um, one, once ads are, are a part of the mix and it's starting yeah. to go, that's someone that you're going to want. Yeah. Now we've got, luckily, um, the marketing ops guy is actually pretty good at that, that side of things as well. So yep. um, that's, that's common. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's really useful. That is pretty much all that we had <laughs> structured. I suppose you've heard a bit from us. Is there any other things that we're kind of missing that we haven't talked about? Is there any kind of guidance you'd give us? further to what we've talked about? I think it would just be a recap of some of the things um, that I noted. One, incredible execution of the strategy and commitment to the strategy. I haven't seen your website, but my hunch is that there's there could be some work done on the website specifically on messaging. Like, is this for me? Like, who is this product for? Messaging around the product and then path to conversion. I think that's an opportunity. Using the like paid to distribute your like organic content, I think is an immediate move that you could make. I think accelerating some understanding of the market readiness that we talked about through paid could be a really strong one. I'll send you examples to have done that exact thing before with a market that things are changing or there was a, a new clinical trial that completely changed the game that people didn't know about. How do you get people to know about those things? And then when you're ready, like starting to build out a team to add the paid, like the true paid engine to, to support the organic. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, we'll have to uh, check back in with you again in another six to 12 months, Chris, and let you know how we've gone. If anything, we can be a testimonial that your, uh, your strategy works, mate. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Really glad you guys are being successful and would love to come back on here in six to 12 months and here because I know where this is going. It's going in a good direction. So Thanks, shout man. out to you. I hope it was, I, I imagine that it was super valuable to the, the listeners too, to going through this because like, it's super interesting. How many people work at your company right now? 10 now, just in the last yeah. month, we doubled our headcount from five to 10. When we, when we were at 10 people, we were at this same stage as where you are in terms of like the volume and that type of stuff. There are companies that have a thousand employees that can't figure out how to do this. And so... I think this should be really helpful. The excuse is, oh, we don't have time. We don't have budget. We don't have resources. It's like, you don't need any of those things to do this. You need to have, you need to be customer focused. You need to be committed. You need to recognize that it's important and you need to go into it with the right mindset. Those are the way to get things done. And I think that this conversation hopefully helped a couple people understand that better. Well, you've given us some great advice. So we'll definitely go away and action some of those things. I really appreciate it, Chris, and the encouragement as well that we're on the right path. So that's great. Awesome. Great to meet you guys. Right. Yeah. We'll, uh, catch up with you soon. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. You know, it's crazy to think that now more than 15,000 demand marketers, sales reps, product marketers, field marketers, CMOs, and everything in between are listening to this podcast and getting a ton of value out of it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been getting value out of it, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating in the podcast section. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you and see you for the next episode.